Thank you for downloading or streaming this message from Emmanuel Church. We are one church with multiple locations, and we believe God wants to bless you right where you are. In a few moments, you're going to hear some practical teaching from God's Word that I believe will be inspiring and relevant to your life. First, though, if you haven't yet experienced Emmanuel Live, we encourage you to go to our website, eclife.org, to check out our service times and locations so that you can experience Emmanuel in person or through our online campus. If this message blesses you and you'd like to support the ministry financially, again, you can go to eclife.org and click on the Giving tab and choose Online Campus at your campus. Thanks again for joining us today, and we hope this message will be an encouragement to you on your spiritual journey. Well, hello, Emmanuel. How are you doing today? It is so incredible to be with you here today. Now, if you're watching online, you probably noticed there's some folks in the crowd here. Who are these people? These are our, some of our staff members and our impact team leaders, and they are here helping us to get ready for you when we decide to have services come back. And so we welcome everyone today, everyone here joining us, everyone joining us in central Indiana, watching online, everyone joining us in another state. Can you believe this? We have folks watching us in California, in Texas. Texas, in New Jersey, in New York, in South Dakota. We have people joining us all across the country. So if you're joining us in another state, Ohio, we welcome you. Can we give it up for those joining in another state right now? We also have people joining us across the world. Check this out. We have folks joining us in Nicaragua, in Budapest. Who would have thought in Budapest you're watching? Singapore. We have folks, folks watching in Singapore. We welcome you. We have people literally all across the world tuning in uh, to what's going on here through our church at Emmanuel. We welcome everyone. Could, can we give it up for everyone joining across the world in another country? So exciting to join you. I want to encourage you today. I want to build you up today in your faith. We're in a series right now called A Call for Help. It's our series on prayer. And what we said in this series so far is that prayer is at the heart of a growing relationship with God. People pray when they are in trouble. Do you agree? They really do. I've heard it said you've never seen an atheist in a plane that's going down. You know what I'm talking about? People pray when they are in trouble. They call out to help when they're in a tough spot. There's a recent study done at the University of Copenhagen that said that in March of this year, March of 2020, the, the, the Google searches for prayer skyrocketed. Now, what happened in March 2020 of this year? That's when, the, that's when the coronavirus began to hit here in the United States and began to spread all over the world. In fact, every 80,000 new cases that are recorded or registered, the, the, the clicks for prayer, the Google searches for prayer, double. People pray, people want to know what to do when they are in trouble, and they should. We are told in the scriptures time and time again to pray. We are shown examples that prayer is effective, that prayer actually works, and that God answers prayer. Let me give you a few examples. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, it says, pray without ceasing. Don't stop praying. In other words, pray all the time. James chapter 5, verse 16, this is written by the brother of Jesus. He said these words, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and, say it with me, effective. That's right. I mean, these are, that's, that's an incredible encouragement. We ought to pray because prayer actually works. Probably the most provocative thing said about prayer in the Bible came from the mouth of Jesus in Matthew chapter 21. You can pray for anything, and if you have faith, you will receive it. Have you ever looked at this verse? Have you ever acted upon this? Have you ever taken it to heart? I said, wow, those are bold words from Jesus himself. 
He said, we'll look at this next week, ask and you'll receive, seek and you'll find, knock and the door will be opened. He invites us to pray. Why? Because prayer works. It's effective. We are encouraged to pray. We ought to pray. We ought to call out to God when we need help. But yet, many of us struggle. We struggle with prayer because we've prayed about something in the past and it didn't work out, right? So we get discouraged. We don't feel worthy to pray because of our past sins. We're so distracted with everything going on in our lives, right? We don't know how to pray. We don't have a plan. When, what do you say to God? How do you actually do it? I mean, we, we pray, we struggle to pray because we have the wrong perception of God. I mean, there's so many obstacles to prayer. And even though we're encouraged to do it, and we're, we see examples in the Bible of how it works, we struggle in our prayer lives. And so then in this series, what we wanted to do is do just a little encouragement to help you overcome some of these obstacles so you can grow in your relationship with God, because prayer is at the heart of a growing relationship with God. We've been using this book by Pete Gregg. He's a pastor in England, How to Pray, a Simple Guide for Normal People. Any normal people out there? I'm a normal person. Uh, I struggle with prayer. I have my obstacles to prayer. And so I picked this book up. It was recommended by a few staff members here. And, uh, and so it's, it's been fantastic. I love what Pete, his, his approach, because he uses the word pray as an acronym, which is memorable and easy, even though I normally don't use acronyms. This is a good one. P-R-A-Y. Prayer. Pause, reverence, asking, and yielding. Last week, we began by talking about this first step, pause. What do we mean by pause? We mean just to stop before you start praying, to, to, let, to, to quiet the noise in your mind and on the outside, and to let go of control. We're such control freaks, and to let go of the false self, this image that we built up of ourselves, to give ourselves significance and value, and then we come before God. That was last week. If you missed it, you can tune in and check it out. I think it'll be encouraging to you. This week, we want to talk about step number two, which is reverence, which is a little bit different from the book. In the book, he calls it rejoice. I'll explain why I change the word to reverence. Step number two, how do we pray? We have to come before God with reverence. What does that mean? One time Jesus's disciples came to him and they said, hey, Jesus, can, uh, can you teach us to pray? Like uh, we're, we're struggling here. Just like you, just like me, we're struggling. We don't know how to do it. So kind-hearted Jesus says, okay, sit down. Here, here's how it goes. Luke chapter 11, verse two. This is what Jesus said. He said to them, when you pray, pray like this, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. How interesting. I want to begin. This is the Lord's Prayer. It's not really the Lord's Prayer. It's our prayer. He doesn't pray it. We pray it, right? Yes? Yes? If you have a Catholic background, you're raised in Catholic church, or even if you're just familiar with the Bible, this is a very familiar passage. And it's often one that we just kind of skip over. I have for many years. Like, okay, that's a good start. Don't know what it means. Let's go to the next part. <laughs> Anybody else? Hollowed? What does it mean to hollow somebody's name? I mean, is it, I know what it means to hollow out a piece of a, a tree or, or to make a boat or to hollow something out. Or to car. But what does Jesus mean when he says, here's how I want you to start in prayer. Hollow God's name. I used to think that it had to do with, you know, changing your voice when you prayed. You know, maybe you just get real serious. Some preachers are good at this when they pray. They're, they have a normal voice, but then when they pray, it's, oh, God. You know, ever, ever, ever heard a preacher like that? Or maybe you've heard someone like that in your family? Or maybe, maybe to hollow God's name means to raise your voice. I've got somebody in my family like this. They raise their voice when they pray, oh, God. You know, it's like, well, maybe that's what it means to hollow God's name. I'm confused. I don't know. So I just skip over it. But it doesn't have anything to do with your tone or your volume. That's not what it means to hollow God's name. Well, what does it mean? Well, the word hallowed is this word hagias, which means holy. In your notes, I wrote it like this. Separate, holy, or different. That's all it means. 
Jesus is saying, here's how I want you to start in prayer. I want you to understand that God's name, we'll get to that in a second, is totally separate, totally different from anything you know. It's totally and completely unique. Now, what does his name mean? Does it mean Jehovah? Does it mean Jesus? Does it mean Yahweh? Those are some of the names used of God in the Bible. Are we saying that we are to make God's actual name holy? Well, no, that's not what, that's not what it means. In the Bible, a name represents a person's character or nature or their, you know, the, the, the quality of their inner being. In Proverbs chapter 21, this is what we see. A good name or a good character is more desirable than great riches. A good reputation is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. It's not about the person's actual name like Patrick or Danny or Joe or whatever. It's their inner being. It's their nature. Look at this in Psalm chapter 10 verse 9. Psalm, sorry, Psalm 9 verse 10. Those who know your, say it with me, your name, your character, your nature, those people they trust in you. Wow. It's not those who know that your name is Yahweh or Jehovah or whatever. It's not the actual name of God. It's the character of God. Those who know the character of God, the nature of God, these are the ones that trust you. They know that you do not abandon those who search for you. So what is Jesus saying here? Well, as I was studying this out, there's a commentator. His name is William Barclay. He kind of brought these two ideas together to, to hollow or to, to make to. To, to make something that is so totally separate or holy in the name of God, and he put it together in this statement. The prayer that Jesus wants us to start with, hollow God's name, is God, will you enable us to give you a unique place which your nature and character both deserve and demand? Now, that's a mouthful. <laughs> what is he saying? He's saying, God, this is how we start our prayer. God, I pray that you would help me to give you, you, the, give you the unique place in my life, in my heart, that your character, your name, both deserve and demand. Now, I don't expect you to memorize that. <laughs> it doesn't quite roll off the tongue, does it? <laughs> oh, God, help me to enable me to both give you the unique place in my heart that both your nature and your character deserve and demand. I mean, I, I, I can do it because I've been thinking about this all week, but I don't expect you to do it. So is there a word that would kind of capture this definition of hollowing God's name? And that word is the word reverence reverence, to stand in awe of God, to revere the name of God. You, there's no one like you. You are completely unique. And the reason that you're unique is because of your character, what you are actually like. There's no one like you in the entire universe. You made the universe. Reverence. If you're a Bible reader, you know the phrase, the fear of the Lord. From cover to cover, it's in the entire Bible. It's a tricky phrase. It's one that we don't talk about a lot because we don't like the word fear. It's like, well, are we supposed to be afraid of God? Like, like right away from him? Like, we're confused sometimes about this, this phrase, which appears over and over and over in the Bible. What do we do with this phrase? The fear of the Lord leads to life. The fear of the Lord leads to wisdom. The fear of the Lord this. The fear of the Lord that. All these wonderful things that the fear of the Lord does, but we're not sure what to do with it. Are we supposed to be afraid of God? 1 John chapter 4 tells us not to. Look what it says. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. I mean, what, what, we, I mean, that's pretty clear. But I don't know if you've checked. My love isn't perfect yet. And so maybe I should be a little afraid of God. But let me give you a little clarity. Let me give you a little clarity. The fear of the Lord has less to do with being afraid of God and more to do with reverencing him or giving him proper 
respect. Psalm 33, verse 8. Listen to this. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world say it with me. Revere him. In another translation, it says, let all the people of the world stand in awe. This is where we get the word awesome. It's, an, it's a word of referring to reverence. We come before God and, and we revere him. The entire book of Ecclesiastes, is, it's a very strange book if you ask me. It's really a take, a look at, you know, what does life look like without God? It's a, it's a book of philosophy. It's, it's a very, very tricky book. But basically Solomon's talking about life and how to live life with God, without God, the consequences of living it with God, the consequences of living without God. And in the end of all of his arguments that he makes in the book of Ecclesiastes, he sums everything up with this phrase. That's the whole story. Here's my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commandments for this is everyone's duty. Or another version says this is the whole duty of man. Wow. If you're struggling with the idea of fear, I just want to bring your attention to my shoes because I wore some special shoes tonight. These were a gift from our staff, my staff here for 20 years of serving. These are very expensive shoes. They're very special shoes. These are Michael Jordan's shoes. They're, they're called the MJ3s version. And, um, and the reason I'm wearing them is because this weekend is the last two episodes of The Last Dance. Anybody tuning into The Last Dance on ESPN? Wow. So this illustration means not that much to you. Okay, so uh, great television minus the language. But anyway, it's a story about Michael Jordan and the last time they won a, a championship. And, and here, here's what's crazy about Michael Jordan is, is that everywhere that he went, you see this in the, in the documentary, he was revered probably more than any other athlete in the history of sport, in any, in any sport. People went bonkers all over, and they, when they had a physical sight of Michael Jordan, it was, it was, if not idolatry, borderline idolatry, where people worshiping him and reverencing him for what he could do on the basketball courts. And today I'm wearing the shoes to, to honor the last episodes of The Last Dance. Reverence. To stand in awe of someone. That's what it means. Now here's the problem with you and with I when it comes to prayer. I'm going to tie this together. The problem with you and I is that there's very little reverence out there today for God. We struggle. We struggle to have this feeling about, about reverencing God and coming before him and hallowing his name. I think it's, it's a lot because we've, we've pushed God out of our lives with technology and, and, and information. And in this information age, I mean, who really needs God? Everything, you can explain everything with with. with Information and knowledge and science. Science is a big thing from very little. Our kids are taught that science really explains everything. How we got here, what's going on. And, and I just want to make a, 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 a statement here about science. I, I'm, I am for science. I'm an advocate of science. I am pro-science. But science doesn't have the duty of explaining existence. existence. Here's why. Science is about observation. It can't explain existence because it wasn't there. You with me? Yes or no? Science, true science, you observe things in a laboratory, you document what you see, and then you report on what you saw. That's all science does. But we can't see God. We, can't, we weren't there when the thing was made. Like, so, so science has its place, and really what we could say as Christ followers and pro-science Christ followers is that we believe that science is an observation of what God has done and is doing, and we still 
That, that allows us as Christ followers to still stand in awe as we learn more and more about the human body or, or astronomy or the bottom of the ocean or whatever science is discovering. We're observing the wonder and beauty and the glory and the power of God in creation. Yes or no? But, but, but many people today have said, no, no, no. Really what we're, what, what we're doing is, is, is we're, we're losing our need for God because now we have science. And so we're pushing God out of our lives. We're turning to ourselves, information and science. We've replaced God with Google. If we want to know something, we Google it. Google is the all-knowing new God of our world. Very little awe today. Very few people stand in awe of a sunset or a sunrise or a clear night when you can see the stars. King David said, the heavens declare the glory of God. When was the last time you were moved to reverence for God because of something you saw in creation. It's very little reverence today for God. Pete, Pastor Pete says in the book, how does this, how does this help, how does this cause us to struggle in prayer? He says, unwittingly, we have unhallowed the Father's name. And in losing the godness of God, we struggle with prayer because we fail to grasp the mind-blowing privilege of simply being in the presence of the living God. We have, we've lost our sense of wonder of who he is. We don't even know who it is that we're coming before. We don't even realize this is the, the creator of the heavens and the earth. And this is someone who's all-powerful and all-knowing and all-loving and all-gracious. We, we've lost the godness of God. And I'm, I'm, I'm guilty as well. I'm guilty as well. Sometimes the more familiar you are with someone, the less reverence you have for them. That's certainly true in my life. It's, some of you might be hearing this and thinking, man, God sounds insecure. Are you saying that I, in order for me to pray well, I have to come before him and give him his proper respect? Is his ego wounded? No, <laughs> it's not. He's totally secure. He's totally fine. I promise you, this is not about God needing anything. This is about us approaching him in a proper way. You know, when I was growing up, two older brothers and uh, great family, lots of fun, uh, great parents. My dad's name was Ar Arthur Anderson, not, the, not the, uh, the rich guy from years ago. Uh, my middle name is Arthur, and so I carry that. Some of you didn't know that. Daniel Arthur Anderson, it's not a fun name. I think it's kind of weird. It's okay. Uh, and I remember growing up, my mom would call my dad Artie. And it was Artie this, Artie that. Artie, can you pick up milk on the way home? Artie, can you go here? Artie! You know, sometimes she'd yell at him. And <laughs> I love you, Mom, if you're watching. Um, nothing wrong with that. You know, you know something that, that never happened in my house? Neither I nor my older brother Jason nor my other brother Jim, my older brother Jimmy, we never called my dad Artie. Not one time. Ever. I'm 42 years old. I still don't say, hey, Artie, how's it going when we talk on the phone? Never it's never happened. It never will happen. It's not right. There's something wrong with that. You feel, you feel me? The other day, one of my kids asked me, he said, Dad, what do you think about us calling you Danny? <laughs> I said, you, you know, you can try, but, you know, if you end up over there on the, on the floor rolled up into a pretzel, there's nothing. I mean, don't, don't blame me. I mean, I didn't say that, but, but I was thinking it. No, it's not right. It's not proper for children to address their parents by their first name. Are you crazy? 
It doesn't work that way. It's just not proper respect. In your notes, I wrote it like this. Reverence is proper for prayer, not because God is insecure. It's just the right thing to do. And so when we come into his presence and we're not, we don't have the posture of reverence, we're going to struggle ourselves communicating with him, and he's going to struggle listening to us. The best case scenario for my children to, to, to get my ear is to come at me with the proper posture. If you come at me with, a, with an arrogant posture or a know-it-all posture, the conversation goes down quickly. You with me, parents of teenagers? Anybody else? Okay. Anyway, reverence is proper for prayer. There's very, very, very little of it today. So how do we get it back? That's what I want to talk to you about for the rest of our time today. How do we develop reverence for God so that our prayer life can flow properly. Three things. Let me give them to you real quick. Number one, we have to study God's character. I have to study God's character. What's he like? The name. The name of God. What the character of God. If we can grow in our, in our understanding of God's character, we will grow in our reverence. Psalm 106 verse 1 says this. Praise the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord for he is. Say it with me. He's good. Where does the praise come from? Where does the reverence come from? Where does the, des the desire to worship God and give him glory, where does it come from? It comes from the knowledge of what God is like. He's good. His faithful love endures forever. This, is, this statement is repeated over and over and over in the Psalms, if you've, re if you've read the Psalms. It's God, we want to know what you're like, and once we discover what you're like, our response to what you're like is worship. It's reverence. It's adoration towards you. Are you studying God's character? What is he like? How do you study God's character? You hang out with him in, by reading scripture. You spend time in his word. You, you find out what he's like and how he responds to people and what he says about people and what he does for people. And The more time you hang out with him in the scriptures, the more time you read other people's experiences with God, with God, the more information you get about his character, the more that reverence grows in your life. Through this documentary about Michael Jordan, who's my favorite basketball player, and growing up, he was, my, he was my role model. He was my inspiration. He, uh, he was on my mind. My, my room was plastered with his posters. Anybody else? Anybody else? This, but what this documentary has done, if you've seen it, is it really shows what Michael Jordan is like in his character. And to be quite honest, there's a lot of positives, but there's also a lot of negatives that I didn't know about. And so getting to know his name, what his name mean, character, nature, you get to, you know, respond to that. I'm, I happen to be the type of person who really values encouraging people and valuing individual uh, dignity and not making fun of people and not condescending people. Well, Mike motivated his team by doing a lot of that stuff. And then result was winning, and so you could kind of justify it, but not my world, so my respect for him kind of went down a little bit. Does that make sense? When you get to know someone, you can grow in reverence. So study God's character. Spend time with him in his word. Number two, we got to review his actions. Review God's actions. What has he done? You know, every year I read through the Bible cover to cover. Every single year. It's just a habit I've gotten into. It. I almost cannot do it anymore. I just have to do it. And I never fails. Every time I read about what God has done, whether it's in the book of Exodus and, and, and parting the Red Sea for the Israelites, or it's in the New Testament, Jesus raising a little girl from the dead, or healing a blind man and, and giving his sight back, I am in awe of the miraculous things that he does. And it builds my reverence as, as I study and reflect on his actions. Is this making sense, yes or no? If you want to grow in reverence, go over what he's done. 
He's done some incredible things, some awe-inspiring things, and some scary things. Remember I mentioned a few moments ago, should I be afraid of God? Well, there's a part of that in fearing the Lord. You say, what are you talking about? In the book of Acts, chapter 5, the church is getting started up off the ground. The apostles are preaching. Everything's going great. People start selling certain things to give the money to the church so the church can continue to grow. Ananias and Sapphira, they sell a piece of property. They, t- they come and they give so- a portion of the money, a portion of the profit to Peter. And they tell Peter, this is all the profit from the sale. But they lied. It wasn't the whole, it wasn't, it was a portion of the profit. It wasn't 100%. Why did they do that? Maybe they wanted to get in with Peter. Maybe they wanted a good name. Maybe they wanted to build their reputation and be seen as generous people. I don't know. But what I do know is God said, we ain't having that. And Ananias and Sapphira, right there in Acts chapter 5, you can read it when you get home, they die. God takes their life. In Acts chapter 5, verse 11, look at the response. Great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard about it in the community. Did you hear that new startup deal over there? Somebody died inside of it. Don't go over there. I ain't going. <laughs> Keep me away from it. If that's the kind of God that, that, that's in that building, I don't want. I mean, come, this is serious stuff. Like, we cannot put God in a box and say, no, he must behave this way because that's what I think a good God would do. We have to stop that. If you read the Bible from cover to cover, he does things that you're like, what? One time in the Old Testament, I, I didn't share this at the four o'clock, but the, 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 the Ark of the Covenant was being transferred from location to location. I can't get too much into the story, but one of the rules in the Old Testament was you will not and you shall not see God. Do not look into that Ark. And you know, there's a bunch of people, about 70 of them, they couldn't resist, so they looked in the Ark and they all died. People said, get this ark out of here. Take it to the next town. We don't want it. We can't live with it. It's going to kill everybody. And the presence of God, it was in the ark. I would love to put God in a box and and tame him and make him safe. And it is just, just can't do it. C.S. Lewis knew this. And so that's why in the Chronicles of Narnia, which is a children's book, okay? Chronicles of Narnia, Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. He captured the tension here perfectly between this, this, this interchange between Lucy and the Mrs. Beaver and Mr. Beaver and Susan. Lucy says, I want to go see Aslan. You know, I'm excited. Is he a man? And Mrs. Beaver says, oh, he's not a man. No, Mr. Beaver says, he's not a man. He is a lion. He is the great lion. Susan jumps in and says, well, I didn't know he was a lion. I thought he was a man. Is he safe? I'm gonna, I should be very afraid to go meet a lion. Listen to what Mrs. Beaver says back. You should, be, you should be afraid. If there's anyone that can appear before Aslan, who is Jesus in the story, without their knees knocking. If there's anybody that can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or just plain silly. To which Susan shoots back and says, well, then are you telling me he's not safe? And then Mr. Beaver jumps in and says this, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. See, C.S. Lewis knew that there is a part of God, whether it's Jesus or whether it's the Father or whether it's the Spirit, that's wild and untamed. And because of that, we have to come to him with the proper respect and the proper reverence. The author of Hebrews said this in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 31. It is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Don't try it. Don't do it. Don't cross him. Take care of your soul. Don't gamble with your soul. 
It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Is this making sense, reverence? How do you build your reverence? You study his character and you review his actions. And then number three, you remember his love. You remember his love. You say, how, how does remembering God's love build reverence in my life for God? Psalm 130 says this. Lord, if you kept a record of our sins, who, O oh Lord, could ever survive? It's a rhetorical question. God, if, if, if you had a little notebook and every time throughout my life I sinned, you wrote it down. And at the end of my life, you opened up that book and you judged me. Who would survive? What's the answer? Rhetorical question. No one. Nada. We're all goners. Does that make sense? And we're all in this boat. Every time we were selfish, every time we were deceitful every, or lied, every time we lusted, every time we were prideful, every time we were greedy, every time we were gluttonous, every time we sinned. What if God wrote it down every single time? Every single time. The book would be thick. At least mine would be. Yes? And then what if he said, okay, time to give a judgment of your life. Let's open the book. We're going to judge you according to your behavior. We are all up the creek without a paddle. Yes? But God doesn't do that. Instead, you offer forgiveness so that we might learn to what? Say it with me. Fear you. What is he saying? He's saying, God, you have every right to wipe me off this planet. I have broken your laws for my whole life. In my teens, 20s, 30s, 40s, my sins have accumulated to a gigantic mountain. If you were to judge me according to those sins, I would die. But you haven't. Instead, you offer, you offer forgiveness. Wow. Is that making sense? When we think about what God could do and chooses not to do, which, by the way, that's called mercy, we develop reverence for God. Why would God do that? Why would God choose to forgive us? Because of love. There's only one reason. It's because of relationship. Because if he allowed us to wallow in our sins, we would be separated from him forever. And that's not why he made us. He made us for relationship. And he made us for love. He made us to commune. He made us for fellowship. He wants to be with us. And in order for, to, to be with us, he had to deal with sin how did he do that? He sent his precious son. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only, say it with me, his son. He gave us Jesus. Why? Because he loved us. For God so loved the world. In Romans chapter 5, he explains it like this. But God demonstrates his own, say it with me, his love. Why forgiveness? Why grace? Why mercy? Love. Relationship. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know that this little phrase, Christ died for us, it, 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 could, it could go, it could hit us and bounce off of us. You know, it, it doesn't penetrate it. Sometimes, you're, oh, Jesus died for me on the cross. But, but, but we have to think about what that means. We have to contemplate. If we want to grow in reverence and therefore grow in our prayer life, we have to really think about what does it mean for Christ to die for us, for me. Mel Gibson got it probably the closest when he made The Passion several years ago. I'll just show you one clip from the movie, not a scene, just a picture. 
This is what it looked like for Christ to die for us. It was bloody, it was brutal, it was inhumane, it was excruciating, it was awful in every way you can imagine, the pain and the, and the shame of it all. For what? So that he could be in a relationship with me, with you? Yes. We could take it off. It's, it's. When we hear those words, Christ died for us, we have to understand the cost, the expense. It's free to you and I. The gift of grace is free, no charge. But it cost God everything. It cost him his son so that we could be forgiven. Therefore, we ought to reverence him. How do we grow in awe of God? How do we develop proper reverence? How do we hollow his name? We remember his love. We review his actions and we study his character. And when we do that, the proper response the result is that we will, we will give God the proper, refer, the proper refer, uh, reverence. We will have the proper reverence for God. We will hollow his name. We will end up approaching God with the right posture. And it is all about posture. Prayer is a posture. It's an approach before we even utter a word or ask God for a thing, a request, a petition for ourselves or somebody else. Prayer is about approaching God with the proper posture in our soul. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. There's nobody like you. Enable me to give you, you, give you the unique place in my soul, in my life, that your nature and character both deserve and demand. And something tells me that as we do that, if we follow Christ's instructions in prayer, we're going to get results. We're going to develop a relationship with God like never before. We're going to get answers to prayer. How could he not? How could God? Jesus said one time, if, if your son asks you for a fish, you're going to give him a rock? Come on. Come on. You're going to, you're going to, you're going to answer those prayers if, if we come at God with the right posture of heart. A few moments ago, I mentioned that name in the Bible represents character and nature. Jesus. Did you know this? That Jesus, the name of Jesus, it, you know it actually means Savior? That's what, that's what it means. Jesus was given the name Jesus because it actually means he will save his people from, it means God saves. That's why he, that's why he was given that name. And that's why the Apostle Paul wrote these words in Acts chapter 4. He said, there is salvation in no one else. God has given no other, say it with me, Name. There's no other name. There's no other person who can do this. Not Muhammad, not Buddha, not any other religious leader ever. There's no other person. There's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Saved from what? Saved from the power of sin, the penalty of sin. And receive eternal life. Have you put your trust in the name of Jesus? Have you received salvation from God, deliverance from sin, the penalty of sin and the power of sin? Have you looked at Christ and said to him, I believe you have suffered and died on the cross for my sin. I reach out to you in faith. Will you forgive me? Will you cleanse me and make me your child? If you have never done that, I want to invite you to do to reach out in faith to God and pray a simple prayer and ask him to be your savior so that you can be 
saved. Take these words, make them your own, and pray to God right now. Say this to him. Dear Jesus, I reach out in faith. I believe that you died on the cross to remove my sin, my shame, to make me a brand new person. So right now, I do ask that you would forgive me, cleanse me. I turn from my selfish ways, my sin, from all the things that are wrecking my life. I turn to you. I ask you to cleanse me and be my savior. And from this day forward, teach me to reverence your name, to hallow your name, that my life would point to your greatness, your holiness, the light that is in Jesus. I ask this in Christ's name. Hey, if you just prayed that prayer, we want to celebrate with you as a church. Amen. The Bible says to whoever puts their faith in Christ has become a child of God. We would love to put a gift in your hands if you trusted Christ today. It's a saved box. A few moments ago, I showed you Acts chapter 4, verse 12. There's no other name given under heaven whereby we must be saved. Inside this box, there's a Bible. There's a, a few instructions on how to become part of the church and, you know, uh, get baptized and, and join a small group. And there's also a cup inside here just uh, as a gift from us to you to say congratulations. If you would text the word saved to 65248 we will send one of those boxes to you in the mail can we give god glory one more time church amen it is so good to be with you hey next week next week we are going to be talking about the ask so it's pause it's reverence and then it's asking this is the part where we ask god for stuff it's going to be powerful you're not going to want to miss it so i want to challenge you to invite your friends to watch online and uh, we'll be back soon together i can't tell you when exactly but very soon together we'll be back as a church physically i cannot wait to see all of you so will you pray with me we'll be dismissed father we love you thank you for the inst instructions in scripture that you give us about prayer to hallow your name Teach us to do that as we study your character, review your actions, and remember your love. I know that that will help us to come before you with the proper posture of reverence. We love you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. God bless you. See you next week. Invite a friend.